Thanks, Mighty. That was powerful to do that together <clears throat> as God's people. I really appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Hey, um, <clears throat> this is a bit of tangential, but several years ago I was doing some postgraduate studies and uh, I was doing it part-time. I was working full-time with a young family. It was a bit of a juggling act and I'm not all that good at juggling. And if you've ever done part-time study, you know that everything else gets prioritised over the study. So uh, everything else is first importance, and then that means you've got to catch up on your readings, and you've got to, you know, um, you're kind of always hustling to get the, ass the assessments due by the due date. Well, <clears throat> I studied part-time for three years, and I was on my final paper, and it was a thesis. <clears throat> 20,000 words I had to write um, of independent research. And so I'd read hundreds of books and um, countless articles and searched so many websites. And it was interesting, but it was also painstakingly slow, like just a lot to kind of get through. And I really lacked the motivation <coughs> to kind of make any progress. And partly it didn't help that my office, where I did this work, was a desk in the garage. And so it was pretty cold and... Um, you know, by the time you got home from work, had tea, hung out with the kids, put them to beds, I'd, I'd end up sort of finding myself trudging out to the garage at about nine o'clock and, and trying to write something. And everybody knows that when you start something at nine o'clock at night to try and write it, it's not going to be that great. So I remember one night coming inside and saying to Dana, you know, that is it. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm giving up. I just, it's, it's too much, it's too hard, and I just can't do it anymore. And uh, I'll never forget what she said. She said, no way are you quitting. We've paid way too much money for you to do this. <laughs> and you've also done a whole lot of research and reading. And, you know, you've come too far to quit. You're so close to finishing. Now, that was not really what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> I was hoping for a little bit more sympathy, but it was also what I needed to hear. And it actually was an encouraging boost and, and I marched back out to the garage and I spent the next two hours crafting a paragraph of a hundred words. <laughs> and then the next, day, next night I did another hundred words and the next night another hundred words and eventually I got up to 30,000 which was way more than I should have. But you know, usually I'm not really a quitter. And I think that's true for, for many of you. You, know, you, are, you are committed to your families. You are dedicated in your jobs. You are loyal to your friends. But I think if we're honest, there's also a point when, when things are tough, when, when we're pushed to our limit, when the capacity is at our max, when, when the problem just seems so big that we start to wonder, would it be easier to give up? And you know, in recent years, that's what a lot of people have thought. So uh, the uncertainty around the COVID pandemic has seen record numbers of people quitting their jobs to the point where it's actually been known as the Great Resignation. Scholars have called it the Great Resignation. So just an example, between April 2021 and April 2022, 72 million people in America quit their jobs. That's around about 6 million a month just stepping out from their regular work. 
Now, New Zealand statistics um, are not that dramatic, but definitely there's been some research come out, and there's certainly greater numbers of people who have seriously considered resigning. Two out of every five workers back in January 22 were thinking about quitting because of the workload and the burnout and the stress and the pay. They were all factors um, according to this study. Now, if you have a job, hopefully you don't find it that overwhelming. Because please hear me, I'm not saying that you should just get up tomorrow morning, call your boss and say, that's it, I quit. Okay, not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just trying to highlight that often when things get tough, the common response for a lot of people is to just give up. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus met a woman who, if she had given up, then we would know nothing about her at all. Her, she would just be a blip. Like her, her story wouldn't even register on the radar of history. But the truth is that this woman did not give up. She, she pushed back on the, the challenges and her critics, and she clung to faith even when it was easier to quit. And so her story is recorded uh, in two places in the Bible. Two biographers of Jesus, a guy called Matthew and a guy called Mark, they both wrote about this story. And so we're going to be reading the story in Matthew chapter 15. You're welcome to follow along if you want. Um, track it down on your Bible, open up or swipe there or whatever. But... Let me just give you a little bit of background before we drop in, because it's helpful to know that prior to where we um, land in the story, Jesus has been traveling and teaching around what we would know as modern-day Israel. See it highlighted there on the map. And he arrives in a place called Phoenicia. So this is a zoom in. He travels up from the Sea of Galilee up to a region called Phoenicia, which is, in modern times, Lebanon. And I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but beautiful Mediterranean, blue waters, sandy beaches, palm trees, all that sort of stuff. So back in Jesus' time, the area, and still is now, predominantly populated by non-Jewish people. This is really important. So Jesus was Jewish. He was born and raised in that area in modern-day Israel. And for much of their history, the Jewish people have been very proud of their racial purity and their privilege. So for example, uh, Jewish people refer to all other ethnic groups as, as Gentile, which literally translates as being not Jewish. So there's the Jews and the Gentiles. There's the Jews and pretty much everybody else. So they don't really distinguish uh, beyond their ethnic group. And so this area of Phoenicia at the time, populated by people whose ancestry was from the Canaanite people. And if you know anything about ancient biblical history, you'll know that the Canaanites had a long and difficult history with the Jewish people. For thousands of years, there was some serious bad blood between these two groups of people. So if you thought that uh, in New Zealand, the racial tensions were, were bad at the moment, and they are, that is nothing compared to the generational hatred in many parts of the Middle East, particularly in this region. Okay, So that's the backdrop to the story. Let's drop in and we'll find uh, reading here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A gentle, Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Let me just pause for a sec because it's very clear that this woman has a big problem. 
So scholars are unsure whether the girl was actually controlled by an evil spirit or whether she was suffering from some sort of mental anguish or some sort of physical condition. But either way, things are not how they are meant to be. And if anyone knows how things are not meant to be, it's a mother. She knew that something was not right, that, that this, for her daughter, her heart was just breaking. She was desperate to see her daughter well, and so she cries out for mercy. Now note there that she is a Gentile. She's a non-Jew. She's a foreigner. She's an outsider to the Jewish people, but she knows enough about Jesus to know that he can perform miracles. She's heard that he has some sort of supernatural sovereignty, some sort of divine power. And so up until now, Jesus' track record's been pretty good. Every time he's come across something like this, he's shown compassion on people who are in tough situations. He's, he's been consistent in healing the sick and helping people with their problems. So you'd expect him, see this poor woman, to show some mercy, he'd help out this desperate mother. Let's read on. Verse 23. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Does that, does that seem strange to you? Like slightly odd? Actually maybe rude? Jesus is giving this woman the cold shoulder. It seems like he's blatantly ignoring her. He's giving her the silent treatment. I don't know if you've ever experienced the silence of God. Maybe you've got a, a problem, some sort of pain or pressure. And you've cried out to God to take it away, and you've got nothing back. No change, no improvement, no progress. It's like you're up against a brick wall. There's this, this cone of silence that God seems not interested, that it seems like he doesn't care. I want to tell you, friends, that if that's been your experience, you're actually not alone. Many of the great men and women of the faith could testify to seasons of silence in their lives. Joseph, for example, was sold by his brothers into slavery and then wrongly imprisoned in an Egyptian prison for years. Sarah waited 25 years for the child that she was promised. David was for many years a fugitive on the run. Elijah felt overwhelmed and anxious and alone. Job, I mean, he's the poster boy. He lost everything, his family, his fortune, his health. In fact, he put it like this, I cry out to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You know, there's others who have felt the silence of God through biblical history, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Paul, Peter, even medieval times, Martin Luther, Catherine of Siena, and modern history, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. They all experienced seasons of silence in their life. But what they also discovered and realized is that silence does not mean the absence of God. He is still working in the background, and he trusts you more than you think. Have you ever had a, a really deep friendship with someone, like a, a closeness with someone that, that you are so comfortable in your presence, you don't really have to, to talk, you don't have to make conversation? There's a Scottish teacher and a chaplain, a guy called Oswald Chambers. He put it like this, has God trusted you with his silence, a silence that has great meaning? God's silences are actually his answers. 
When you cannot hear God, you'll find that he has trusted you in the most intimate way possible, with absolute silence. Not a silence of despair, but one of pleasure. A sign that he is bringing you into an even more wonderful understanding of himself. You know, in the story, Jesus surprised everyone, including the lady with his initial silence, but, but that didn't put the woman off. In fact, she persisted even more to the point where she frustrated Jesus' disciples. <clears throat> this is what we read. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. You know what I like about Jesus is that he, he refused to get caught up in the pettiness of his followers. It's likely that his initial silence was a test to see how genuine this woman was with her request. And she was genuine, all right? She was persistent with her begging. And so Jesus opens up the conversation. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Now you'd think this would probably put off most non-Jewish people, right? Jesus has signaled that his main focus is a mission to the Jewish people. But what I find curious is that Jesus was deep in non-Jewish territory when he said this. He'd traveled over 100 kilometers to get to this place, probably three, maybe four days on foot. And so it was a very deliberate decision to be where he was. And it makes it even more weirder, odd, that he would say that he's focusing on the Jews when he's intentionally surrounding himself with non-Jewish people. Strange, right? And so for the second time, this woman is not put off by Jesus. In fact, she perseveres and persists even more. Look what she says next. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Okay, this is now becoming a bit of a scene. What started out as a simple request for healing is now coming uh, like a full-blown drama. And if you read Mark's account, the woman actually falls at the feet of Jesus and worships him and begs him for a miracle. And so you'd think by now that Jesus would just relent. Just go, okay, this woman has done enough. She's desperate for the sake of her daughter, so Jesus should just probably help her. Heal the girl so that everybody could move on, right? But Jesus insists that she is not his priority. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, I probably should clarify something very important here. Jesus is not calling this woman a dog, okay? Uh, in the first century, though, many Jewish people did refer to the Gentiles as dogs. Because they arrogantly believed that non-Jews were no more likely to receive God's blessing than a lowly dog. But Jesus is not trying to offend this woman. He's highlighting the common Jewish attitude at the time to show how different his perspective is. And so, look what he does next to kind of reveal where he's coming from. She replied... That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Well, this woman is smart. She is perceptive. I mean, when you think about comebacks, that is a pretty good one. It's like, okay, Jesus, 
touche. Which there probably wasn't many people who could do that. Probably only a woman, let's be honest. But (laughs) she uses Jesus' words and flips the script. Essentially, she is willing to say that, yes, I'm, I'm happy to be considered as a lowly dog. I'm happy to take the scraps, the leftovers, whatever, if only I could experience God's blessing for my daughter. And you know, the irony here is that Jesus is deep in non-Jewish territory. And this non-Jewish woman, this Gentile woman, recognizes who he is and what he can do. I mean, he's just spent months traveling and teaching among his fellow Jews, and most of his countrymen have missed seeing who Jesus really is. Their arrogance has caused them to miss out on experiencing the blessing of God. But here this humble, non-Jewish woman, she sees it, she gets it, she recognizes him and she experiences the goodness and grace of God. This is a huge moment in the conversation. This is, this is the hinge where everything changes. Look what happens next. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Man, imagine the relief, the joy on that woman's face, hearing those words. Jesus affirms her faith and he promises healing for her daughter. Persistence paid off, right? She pushed and she prayed and she petitioned and Jesus recognized the sincerity and the steadfastness of her faith and he responded with a miracle. Maybe, maybe you could do with a miracle. Maybe you're burdened by some of the things from your past. Perhaps you're troubled by your present. Perhaps you're uncertain about the future. Maybe you've got worries at work, tension at home, stress at school. And what has made all that stuff worse is that you've prayed about it. You've petitioned, you've cried out to God, and all you've heard is silence. You feel like you're not really his priority, that it's not really registering on God's radar. Well, let me remind you of this, that you are important to God. He loves you, and he hears you, and he knows what is best for you. He sent Jesus to this dusty planet for you. Jesus went to the cross for you. He paid the ultimate price so that you could have the opportunity to live life, a life of fullness and freedom, a life of connection with God both now and forever. And Jesus rose from the dead for you to prove that he had power over sin and suffering and to point us to a place of eternal goodness with God. Jesus did all of that for you. Jesus has never and will never give up on you, so don't give up on him. And that's what real faith is. It is persisting through troubles. It is persevering through our trials. It is trusting that God has got it all sorted, even when it seems like he's silent, even when it seems like nothing is happening. You know, a faith like that takes a real depth of character. And perhaps that's what I find most inspiring about this Gentile woman, is that instead of being entitled, she was humbled. Instead of quitting She was persistent. Instead of doubting, she had faith. She had faith that Jesus was who he said he was and that he would do what he said he would do. And so when you find life to be overwhelming, don't give up. Life is messy. 
There is a cost of living crisis. There is climate change. There is geopolitical conflict, fallout from COVID. There is anxiety and uncertainty and tiredness and heaviness. They are all big problems. But when it feels like it is easier to quit, Jesus calls his followers to trust him, to be humble, to be persistent, to be faithful, to hold on to hope, to have faith that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he said he will do. You know, someone who knew um, that better the most was a guy called John Wesley. He, as a young man, really wrestled with doubts around the existence of God. He, he ended up having a disastrous relationship, broken off the engagement, uh, several near-death experiences, almost died in a fire, uh, almost drowned at sea. And after all that, he came to believe that God's providence had prevailed, that God was still looking out for him. And so Wesley became really convicted about both the social and the spiritual problems in England. And he started preaching and calling people to trust God. But his enthusiasm was discouraged by the Anglican church. He had to kind of tone it down. And so Wesley began preaching outdoors wherever people would listen. Let me share with you some extracts from his diary. Sunday, 5th of May in the morning, preached in St. Anne's Church, was asked not to come back. Sunday, 5th of May, PM, preached in St. John's Church, deacons said, get out and stay out. Sunday, 12th of May in the morning, preached in St. Jude's Church, made clear I would not be invited back. Sunday, 19th of May, preached in St. Michael's Church, Deacons called meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, 19th of May, preached on the street corner, kicked off the street corner. Sunday, 26th of May, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow as bull was turned to loose during service. (laughs) Sunday, uh, Sunday, 2nd of June in the morning, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday, the 2nd of June, p.m., preached in a field, 10,000 people came out to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, John Wesley, he did not give up. And for 50 years, because of his persistent preaching, over 100,000 people converted to Christianity. They were encouraged by Wesley's faith in Jesus. So friends, I want to encourage you that if you're facing tough times, if you're if you're in the midst of something that's really challenging, some crisis, some difficulty, know that God is not silent, that maybe he even trusts you more than you think in this, and he wants you to stay connected. He wants you to be humble, to be persistent, to keep asking, to keep hoping, to keep praying, and to be faithful. There's um, some, <clears throat> some little verses, you've probably found one on your seats or hopefully lying around And what I'd encourage you to do is read it, if you haven't already. Pick it up, uh, if you've dropped it, or made a dart out of it. And and share with someone that you're sitting in the area of around how this verse encourages you. Don't have to be super personal and pour your heart out. I mean, you can if you want to, but it's up to you. It's just, just for a minute, you know, 30 seconds each share how you might find this encouraging in some of the challenges that you're facing. And then we'll wrap it up. I hope that was um, 
helpful, you're welcome to continue those conversations um, in a few minutes, but persistence pays off. You probably um, should know that I got a very good score with my thesis, um, largely because my wife encouraged me to go back to the garage and write another hundred words. So persistence does pay off. I wanted to share this with you as we wrap it up. Because a few months before Jesus met that woman in Phoenicia, he encouraged his followers to be persistent. This is what he said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus will never give up on you. So don't give up on him. Let's pray together. God, we just want to say thank you for your son. You sent him to us, for us, to save us, and you've never given up on us. And so when we look at the problems, the messiness of life, we just ask for your strength that we wouldn't give up. May we be like that Gentile woman. May, may we be humble, persistent and faithful and trust in you. For your name's sake and glory. Amen.